Let me go ahead and say good morning again. I know that we've been, you've been mourning a lot, but I'm, uh, I'm super glad to be up here with you guys again. This morning, I always count it as a privilege and a great honor to be able to share the Lord's Word. And uh, my name is Pastor Chris Greenwood, and I'm assistant pastor here of discipleship at KPC. And so I'm merely filling in today for Pastor Steve, who is, as we already mentioned, in Ghana with a select few small group of team people. And uh, wasn't it wonderful to have him here last week? Wasn't it just great? I mean, it felt like he just popped in and then he's popped back out, but he'll be back again uh, in the coming weeks. But let's continue to pray for them while they're across the ocean. Even this morning, uh, the time difference has already probably made it pass, but he was preaching over there, you might remember, this morning in Ghana. And so um, it never hurts in the Lord's economy of time to just be mindful of that and prayerful about that, that uh, he would have an effective ministry this morning as he, he shares. We have been going back through the vision statement and the mission statement of our church over the last couple of weeks and on into the fall, all the way into November, we'll be hitting this. And so we have already covered that our vision is to become a community where passion for God cultivates compassion for people. Our short little tagline, passion for God, compassion for people. Last week, Pastor Steve began and opened up our mission section of our, our plan here. And so our mission is to deeply experience the love and presence of God in lives of worship. Today's focus, to grow as faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ. And next week, to serve a, hungry, a world hungry for his truth and, lo and love. So next week is Youth Sunday, and they're going to be talking about this concept of serving. Just so you understand, I think we've already said it once this morning, the kids will be in the service next week, just like a family Sunday. So just uh, be aware of that, just for planning purposes. We know that's also Labor Day. So we still hope you come and, and participate in Youth Sunday. The youth are excited, and it's going to be a fun message uh, between Mark and uh, Jacob, right? I believe so. So we're going to be a little tag team sermon next week. So that'll be a lot of fun. Today, what I thought I would do is I'm going to spend the first half kind of a little bit of a get-to-know-me time as I lay out the discipleship vision. And then the second half, we're going to use PowerPoints, and, and verbally I'm going to lay out for you different aspects of discipleship at the church. <clears throat> this will be good for us to have on a recording. It'll also be good for you to see visually and for me just to lay out before you. So let me just introduce a little bit about myself because there's so many of you, I can't possibly get to know all of you very well, at least not fast. So I thought I'd just give you little teasers every time I'm up here to let you know a little bit about myself. I'm wearing my orange shirt because by this time next week, Tennessee football will have started. And so, uh, yeah, I know, it's the, the, the elect clapped. Thank you for that. And it's beautiful. And uh, we're still working on everybody else, but the big orange, the big orange is coming. Those of you that are Virginia Tech fans, you know that we have a really big game in about two weeks because on September 10th, Tennessee and Virginia Tech are going to be playing at Bristol Motor Speedway. It'll be the largest football game in the history of football. Probably somewhere around 200-ish thousand people coming. And, uh, well, we'll see who wins. But 
that's, uh, that's coming up, so that'll be a fun time. A little bit about something else about me. First sermon, I mentioned <clears throat> that I was in the Olympics back in 1996, and I didn't tell you what for. And I know that I just got done watching the Olympics, and I thought that the uh, Fantastic Five, or what they were, the girls' gymnastics team, did an amazing job. Uh, but I kind of wish my kids were a little bit older to just have a memory of how amazing Michael Phelps has been. Just, just staggeringly amazing. He's one of the best athletes maybe of all time. So before Michael Phelps, there was Chris Greenwood. And um, <clears throat> now, I don't want to confuse you because I didn't swim in the Olympics at all. But uh, in fact, it may be anticlimactic, but I was in the open and closing ceremonies of the 1996 Olympics because in Atlanta was the only time that they had an, Atlanta, uh, an Olympic band and so I was in the Atlanta Olympic Band. And uh, so for those of you in the, that have the archives of all those opening and closing ceremonies, you can go back and watch me march in the opening and closing ceremonies. And I'm sure you'll be able to spot me. There was about 380 of us. But you'll see me, I'm sure, right in the midst of it all. And actually, the coolest part of it was, uh, you know, they, can, they built this stadium and can, can kind of move Turner Field there eventually. But up in the very rim, on the, the top of the stadium, we had this fake moment that looked good for TV where we held like the Herald trumpets. And I was on TV holding this Herald. We didn't actually play anything, but it had the Olympic flag hanging down from it. And so I was on top of the stadium looking down on the whole thing. That was a lot of fun. And so it was a big moment for me. And uh, it was the summer after I graduated high school. And it was just a fun, fun time. Another little tidbit about me, as I begin to get into some spiritual stuff here, is that I really, really, really enjoy the kind of role that I'm in here at KPC. I have always been uh, an associate pastor or an assistant pastor right now, and I just, I find a lot of joy in supporting the senior pastor and being a part of a team uh, and just being able to specialize a little bit. And so this literally is, in a lot of ways, a dream job for me, to be able to come here, be in that kind of role, uh, not feel the pressure of a senior pastor position, just be able to support, encourage, move the vision forward as Pastor Steve leads us. And I just find a lot of, um, a lot of satisfaction in that. And, and I've told my wife that I feel, I feel kind of bad sometimes getting up and enjoying what I get paid to do so much. I wish everybody got to experience that, but I, I really, really enjoy it every day. And, and working with Mark and Neil is some of the most fun stuff that we get to do. We have a wonderful pastoral team here, and I hope you view us as a team, and I hope that you continue to pray for Pastor Steve as he leads us all. And, um, it's just a wonderful privilege to work with him and to be a part of it. It's okay to clap. It's, a, it's good to clap. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, I know that all three of us other pastors miss him terribly when he's not here. And so we're very excited he's coming back soon. Okay, discipleship. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, is Paul telling the church of Colossae, that this is his call to ministry. And this is probably the passage that resonates with me the most. And so I thought I would share this with you 
and then just kind of talk very briefly about the last two verses. I'm going to read 24 through 29, but I'm going to focus on the last two verses and just kind of say a few words, and then we're going to get into the master plan vision of the church. Let me read this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have your apps, you can swipe there. And if you don't have either one, then you can read it up on the screen. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's a beautiful passage. And one that I think kind of just exemplifies who I am as a minister. To have the privilege of sharing with people this hope of glory, this, this message of Jesus Christ. And so you see in verse 28 that it's him we proclaim. Right? There's only one. There's only one person that we proclaim, Jesus. And we do that by warning and by teaching everyone with all wisdom. If you would ask me, and many of you have, and, and I've told many of you, you say, what can we be praying about for you, Pastor Chris? And I've consistently said wisdom, just wisdom. Wisdom to know how and when and where and why uh, as I step into a new church and a new role, wisdom. And so here it is, tucked away right here in the middle of this verse. That we would do these things with all wisdom so that we can present everyone mature in Christ. So look at, these, look at the one word that's used three times in verse 28. Warning everyone, teaching everyone, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's what drives me. See, it, it's not enough for me to see people come to faith. What, what drives me is that they would mature in their faith. And that's the passion of who I am. See, I don't... It's, it's a dysfunctional world where you just have a bunch of babies crawling around, right? You got to have grown-ups. You got to have people that know what they're doing, how they can teach other people, that they can shepherd them and guide them and mature. Them. You've got to have balance. We can't just have a church full of babies. We have got to have some maturity. And so that's the passion of what I do. And really, it shouldn't just be mine. Because you see in this verse, it says... It's him that we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. See, it's the call of all of us to see the maturing of the body. All of us have a part to play in that. Not just the designated discipleship guy, not just those super spiritual people that we all look up to. All of us have a part to play in maturing the body of Christ. And then this verse 29 is so interesting. For this I toil with all his energy. What a small word that changes everything. Because don't you expect it to say all of my energy? For this I toil with all my energy. I just work so hard. 
but it says with all of his energy. And see, one of the greatest pitfalls that we all fall into is when we ourselves begin to work and work and work and we begin to just wear ourselves out and wear ourselves out and wear ourselves out. And Scripture reminds us it's not about your power. It's about the power that comes from Acts 1.8. And you shall receive power when my Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. And so I have to, Chris Greenwood, has to continually rest in his power and resist the temptation to just do it with my own strength. And I know I'm not alone in that. And so many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And this is when we begin to face burnout and we face exhaustion and we just kind of get worn down. It's because we're doing it on our, on our own strength and on our own effort. And so here Paul reminds us that yes, he toils, he works hard, but he does it in the Lord's strength, not his own, that he works out within him. And so that's me in a nutshell. That's me in two verses, really. I proclaim the one who hung on the cross so that I can warn everybody that doesn't believe in him, that I can teach the ones who do so that I can present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal. That's the goal for me. So with that said, let me just say a little bit about the proclamation because I would do a disservice to the gospel if I didn't just have a moment to proclaim the thing I just said I proclaim. And so I just want to say this. I've been thinking about, you know, the gospel just hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And so sometimes pastors, we get into these things of, how can I present the gospel in a way no one's ever heard before? Uh, there's not really much point to that. I mean, it's, it's a very simple to understand story. It's the most beautiful and wonderful story that there is. One of the things that I just wanted to say this morning is that we are sometimes viewed, we being Christians, as being very exclusive very one-way only, it's got to be Jesus, that's not very inclusive, that's not friendly language, it's not nice in the world that we play in today. It's all about perspective, isn't it? Because I find Jesus to be one of the most inclusive people there are. If you take the picture of a funnel, Jesus stands right at the most narrow point, and he says, you have to come through me. But the funnel is so wide. It's so wide. From the person that's strung out on drugs to the boy who goes to Sunday school every week and everyone in between. There's no longer slave nor free, male, no female, Jew nor Gentile. Any and all who the Lord calls may come into the funnel and meet Jesus. It's the most inclusive thing I think we can possibly say. And yet, it's all about perspective, isn't it? You fun focus on the narrow part, you focus on the wide part. And you have to get them in the right order, or else everything slips away from us. So don't get boxed into thinking that you're a very exclusive faith, and it's just very narrow-minded. And We're a very broad faith, if you look at it the right way, and say, there's no sin too big. There's no lifestyle too sinful. Come and find the wonder of it all at Jesus. And you will come out the other side of that funnel, a new creation and a child of God. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So if you've never met Jesus, 
And see, I can say that with such confidence every time. I know, I don't know anybody. I mean, I, I know some people. I don't know everybody at this church. But I can say that regardless of where I am because Scripture says that wide is the way and narrow is the gate. And so long as that's true, I can always say not everyone knows Jesus because that's a rock-solid biblical principle. Wide is the way, but narrow is the gate. And so there's always going to be at least one who doesn't yet know Jesus. And if any of you are, if that meets any of you in here, just come talk to us. Come talk to a pastor, to an elder, to someone that you trust in this church. We would love to tell you everything there is about Jesus and how you, he can take you from the top of the funnel and you come right into meeting him and he will transform your life and set you free and show you what life really is all about. It's amazing. But now let's talk about discipleship. Amen? All right. I don't know why I said amen there. I don't normally do that, but no one said amen back, so everybody's shocked that I said amen. So, okay, let's just move on. All right, okay, okay, there we go. We're all, we're all panicked now. We're trying to say, oh, should I say amen? I don't know. So, all right. Amen? Hey, there we go. That's a good, that's a good word right there. That's good. That's fantastic. Okay. I've already done the church part. That was not planned. That was just one of those moments. So discipleship begins very broadly, okay, with the, uh, the, the discipleship of the church as a whole. 850-plus members right now, growing, and uh, don't care about numbers, never have cared about numbers. I care about depth. That's just me. I just care about depth. I think if you take care of depth, numbers will come. Just not worried about numbers. So that's just where we currently are. But the, the point is that we have a large gathering. When we get together, large gathering, we want to be a body of people drawn together to deeply experience the love and presence of God in lives of worship and then respond corporately in joyful and heartfelt praise, adoration, and thankfulness. And we had a chance to do that this morning. It's a beautiful thing when we do that. All right, underneath the umbrella of the church, we're going to begin to to roll out something called community groups. Lots of churches have this idea of a community group. It's just a way to kind of take a big, large group and put them into some slightly more manageable uh, size things. So we're going to have community groups of about 150 to 200 people. We're going to, we've already, I've already separated them out by zip codes. And so the idea of doing it by zip code is it, it eliminates any confusion about um, generational gaps, or socioeconomic gaps, um, or age brackets, and, and all these things. It's just going to be groupings, groupings by zip code. And here's the, here's the scriptural basis for this. In the scriptures, there was this group that was bigger than the 12, and they were called the 72 or the 70. Some of you may be familiar with this grouping. It's in Luke chapter 10. Uh, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So there is this bigger group than the twelve. And what we want to do is we want to empower these community groups to be able to go out into their neighbors, neighborhoods and their communities as forerunners of Jesus. Because that's what the 72 did. You notice in those verse, he said, I, he sent them on ahead of him, two by two. And so the dream and the vision is, we get these zip codes together, and you begin to learn who your neighbors are. And you begin to figure out, okay, well, they live just over in that neighborhood, or maybe down the street, 
or just maybe over five, ten minutes away, but we all live in the same geographic area. And the beauty of what we could do, this is the dream, is that a family here and a family here may decide, hey, let's adopt this neighborhood. Let's adopt this street. Let's just adopt this one particular neighbor, and let's just love them. Let's just love them, and let's go before Jesus. And let's just figure out a way. Maybe you're going to volunteer to nonprofit. Maybe you're going to volunteer to uh, tutor some people or mentor some people. And you can do that as a community group. Maybe not the whole group. Maybe the whole group. Maybe you're all just be like, what, are we, what can we do as a whole group? Let's just, let's just go out before Jesus in an entire area. This is all going to be played out. We're just going to have to see what this looks like, okay? But that's the idea of the community group. It takes us from in here to out there in a very thoughtful, intentional way. They won't gather all that often. We probably start it twice a year, then maybe move to quarterly, and that's about it. This is not going to be a super regular gathering, but just, a, just an idea for you guys to be able to get together and see who your neighbors are and, and maybe brainstorm and dream and pray together and think of ways to, live, to reach the area where you live. Because how many of us know that this particular church can't reach everywhere all the time, right? But all of us in our individual lives and in little groups can reach a whole lot more places, right? Make sense? Okay. Underneath the community group umbrella is life groups. If you're in a life group currently, could you just raise your hand for me? If you're in a life group. Okay, good. Not a ton of you, okay? And that's... That's both not a problem and is a problem, okay? It's not a problem because it's understandable, okay? Uh, but it's going to be a problem moving forward. And here's why. Currently, we have eight life groups functioning. My first goal is to have four more by January. That would bring us to 12. And I would hope that they would be empowered to live life together and learn what it means, in the words of my wife, to live and love like Jesus. Okay, that's the goal of life groups. I'm not interested in making sure all of you study the same thing. I'm not interested in making sure you do things exactly the same way. I'm interested in you living life together so that you can learn to love and live like Jesus. Obviously, I would think that the scriptural example of this would be the 12 disciples and the calling of the 12. Um, Oh, let me say this one little thing. By the end of September, we will publish the list of the existing life groups. And if you want to go and try those out, you can. Most of them are pretty close to full. By full, we mean we want to have about 8 to 18 people in a life group. You get too much bigger than that, it becomes like a gathering or, you know, a crowd. So if you get too few, if you get under 8, then it just becomes not, it doesn't feel like a group if a couple of people are sick then all of a sudden it's just the four of you staring at each other, and that's not really the point either. So somewhere between 8 and 18, and I want to start some new ones. So if you're interested, you can touch base with me. But this comes from the calling of the 12. You have Matthew 10, Mark 3, and Luke 6. All are the places where Jesus is calling the disciples. And then you have this passage in John chapter 6, where Jesus is beginning to say some of the harder things, things that are more difficult, things that make the disciples uncomfortable. And so we're going to pick up towards the end of this and see what Jesus has to say. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Now that's the backdrop. Here's the part, in case you were checked out for all of that. Come back with me. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. In our life groups, I want us to be able to handle the difficult things of faith. I want them to be places where you bring an issue or a topic or a struggle or a concern, and you together as a group work through these things, and you learn to walk with each other and love each other. There are going to be times when people in your life group aggravate you, and guess what? There's going to be times when you aggravate them. You would never admit that, and they would, might not tell you, but that's going to happen. And part of living life together is working through all of that and also being able to be vulnerable and say, you know what? I don't, I don't know what to do here, or this is really hard, or I'm really struggling with this. And so if you bring to those kind of places, I want you to, to hear Jesus say, are you going to go away too? And I want to, our life groups to be a kind of place where we look back at Jesus and say, where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to know and to believe everything about you. And so even in the midst of this hard thing, even in the midst of this struggle and this uncertainty, there is nowhere else I can go but Jesus. And I want you to be able to find that kind of place in your life group. And so that's the kind of life groups we're going to try to create here. And that's the goal and the vision here at KPC. Under that, another dimension of that, we have men of the church, women of the church, co-ed Bible study groups, retreats, events. These are going to be our uh, gender-specific type things and then also stuff in the co-ed thing. I want to empower these groups to be able to uh, encourage, refine, strengthen, support, and relate to each other. I know this may be a surprise, but there are certain things that men will say and do around other men that they will not do around women. I don't know if that's the case with women or not, because I'm not a woman, but I'm just saying that men will, will just they act a little bit different, and sometimes they're a little freer and sometimes too free uh, around each other than they would be around women, and I imagine the same is true for women. And so we're, we're going to honor that. And we're going to have men's groups and women's groups. And then we're going to have times where we do things together. We have three of those examples for the co-ed stuff happening this fall. We have two Sunday school type options that meet each Sunday starting on the 11th. And then we have a midweek pre um, precepts group, which is co-ed as well. And so we're, eventually we're going to have a flyer, a front and back thing, in the next week or two that will give you the options for all the different things that happen throughout the week here and you'll be able to see those things. But I wanted to just say, not as a favoritism thing, but as a time-sensitive thing, 
One of the Sunday school things we're offering is a family financial class, okay? And it's going to be capped at 20 people. It's only 20 people can go. And the reason is, is we want to be able to talk about finances and want to be able to hear people's stories. And it's going to be taught by Gary, who's a CPA. And it starts September 11th. Okay, so the first 20 people that sign up, child care is provided. If you have kids, don't let that be something for you. But sign up is out there. And so first 20 people for that. And we're hoping that this will be a, a thing that we have each, each quarter because everyone needs to hear about finances from a biblical perspective. Am I right about that? Okay, I mean, just in case you hadn't noticed, the country is in debt. And so we want to be a different people, and we want to know how to handle our money. So I just want to encourage you with that. So men, we're going to have at least four men's group each week um, that meet each week. Women, this fall, we're going to have at least three women's groups that meet on a regular basis. And then I told you about the co-ed one, and I told you about the flyer. Okay, under that, covenant discipleship groups. This is a small group for between four to six people. And they're going to use a, well, let me tell you where this comes from. In Matthew 17, 1, it says this. And after six days, Jesus took him, with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. This is the, the scripture of transfiguration. Okay, so this is where Jesus pulls the three and he takes them up onto the mountain. And they see things that no one else gets to see, okay? Later on, in Matthew 26, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Peter, James, and John were invited by Jesus to see, hear, and experience things that others simply were not. So these covenant groups that we're going to start, these covenant discipleship groups, are going to be available for everyone. You have to choose to be a part of them. And they're going to be a place where you will get to see, hear, and experience things. You're just not going to get anywhere else in our discipleship strategy here. We're going to use a three-year cyclical curriculum uh, each year will be different. You can sign up for one year at a time. You can sign up, do all three. But you, after three years, you're done. You don't stay in a covenant group forever. It's not a perpetual group. So it's three years and you're done. And the point is, in these groups, is that we are going to, we're going to empower you and train you to be able to teach others also, to understand the scope and sequence of the Christian faith and then be able to teach it to other people. Okay? So that's the idea of these covenant groups. Here's the bad news with covenant groups. In 2017, I'm going to have one men's group and one women's group, and that'll go in 2017, and it won't be until 2018 that we roll them out for the whole church, okay? We're going to do it right, and we're going to do it the way that it needs to be done. So we have it, uh, it's going to be a slow rollout with that. But those are coming, so if you're interested in that type of thing, That'll be for you. This will feel very familiar for any of you who did campus ministry in college, where you do kind of discipleship groups in college. It'll have that feel to it. We're just going to bring that into the church level here. And then the last thing, and you already know a little bit about this. I was trying to think of a, a cool name for it rather than one-on-one -on -one discipleship, because that's just a mouthful, but it does describe what it is. But I eventually landed on third-generation disciplers. And the reason I called it that 
is because of 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul tells Timothy, and what you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, teach to a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, teach to faithful men who will teach others also. I, Paul, have taught you Timothy, and I'm telling you to teach faithful men, and I'm telling you that those faithful men need to be able to teach others also. Three generations. You have absolutely succeeded in discipleship if you can trace it down three generations. But it is very, very rare to be able to trace it down three generations. Okay? So that's the goal. We want to be able... Where does this come from? Well, Jesus taught each of the 12, right? And maybe at least one, maybe more than one, of those 12 reached out to a man named Joseph. But Joseph's name changed to Barnabas. You may remember that name, Barnabas, because we preached on the book of Acts. Well, Barnabas reached out to a man named Saul. And Saul had his name changed to Paul. And Paul reached out to this guy named Timothy. And now here we are with Paul telling Timothy to reach out to some faithful men. And then Timothy, you need to teach those faithful men so they can teach other men. So let's just follow that down the line. So we start with Jesus, so we won't count him. One of the twelve, Barnabas, Paul, Timothy, faithful men, other faithful men. Six generations. And we know that these things actually happened because this is the way discipleship worked in the early church. One person teaching another person who taught another person who taught another person. We just want to reintegrate that into the life of a church. We cannot continue to exist on mass communication models only. And that's where we are as a church. This that I'm doing right now is mass communication. There's nothing wrong with using mass communication. We can't use it exclusively. And that's where we are as churches. It's one person teaching a large group of people. The very biblical basis for discipleship is one per person teaching one person, who teaches one person, who teaches one person. We just have to bring balance back. I'm not, I'm not saying one-on-one -on -one is the only way, it's the best way, it's the superior way. Don't hear me say that. I'm saying it is a way that needs to balance the mass communication model. We have got to care for the individual again. We have got to. This world needs us to care for the individuals again. Okay, do we have a master plan review slide at all? Did, Jacob, did we get any of those? All right, let's just pop those up here real quick. Okay, so we have the church, you have community groups, you have life groups. Okay, come on, next slide. What else we got? Oh, that's messy. All right, men of the church over there. We have yearly retreats, various Bible studies, events. Then we have covenant discipleship groups, third-generation disciples, both for men's groups and women's groups. And then we, under there, we have co-ed. We have precepts and Sunday school. And I think that's it. That's their summary. Side. Good. All right. So this has been a really different sermon, right? Different time. The whole, the whole Sunday's been a little different. And that's okay, because different's okay. What we want to do now is, under the fine leadership of Pastor Mark and Pastor Neil, they're going to man some mics, and we're going to do a little bit of a talkback sermon. We're just going to take a couple of minutes, not long, and um, 
Let's have Pastor Mark over in this area and Pastor Neil over in this area. If you have a question about what I said this morning, so this is not stump the pastor moment. This is not, you know, outline the book of Revelation and tell me exactly what it means when the locusts come, Pastor Chris. Don't, don't do that. If you have a question about anything with the discipleship vision, anything related to that at all, you can walk on up to one of these mics and let's just uh, ask your question. So this is a little scary, a little iffy. You never know what people might say, but I, I believe the Lord is going to be good. If there's no questions, then we'll just kind of move towards closing it down. But this is your chance. Oh, Pastor Neil has a question. Okay. You want to raise your hand? Sure, go, you go ahead. Oh, oh, if they have a, oh, if, no, they can They just, raise their hand if they have a question. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're, we're probably only have time for no more than eight at the very, very most. So, okay, there's a question. Yeah, we can take What's the you? mic to you. Okay, all right. You're going to be traveling, Mike? Oh, yeah, we're okay. mobile. That's exciting. All right, let's, uh, let's take this one back here, and then we'll, we'll come up here. All right, don't forget to say your name. Uh, my name is Jonathan Zachary. Um, I have a question with so many individual groups. How can you make sure that it has a biblical foundation that applies the same way that you would, or this church would? Great, so the question is, how can I make sure with so many groups that it's going to have the same biblical foundation as I would do it, right? Okay, it's a great question. My, my life for the next three years is going to be really, really busy. <laughs> and, and I don't mind that. Uh, the one-on-one -on -one discipleship is all going to begin with me and my wife, really. Um, and so we'll begin to kind of train those things out. And before we, you know, kind of hand people off to be able to disciple other people, we'll be able to know whether they're ready for that or not. Covenant groups, uh, again, we'll begin with myself, and, and they will follow a three-year curriculum. It's a little bit more curriculum-based kind of idea. It's not going to be something that's structured around Bible studies and prayer and all that kind of stuff. It's a much bigger concept. Now, the chart that you had up there may be causing a little bit of confusion. As we begin to create new life groups, there it is. Uh, well done. As we begin to create new life groups, a part of me wants to see life groups kind of come out of community groups. And here's the reason why. Just because if people work in the same, live in the same geographical area, it will theoretically be easier for them to do life together. You know, they, they live in the same area. It won't take long for them to get home if they have a meeting. It'll be easier for them to have dinner with each other. And so it, it seems natural for me to form new life groups out of the community groups if possible. If not, perfectly okay with me. I'm not going to try to change any of the current life groups to make them fit into that. I'm just saying as we create new ones, if we have a particular zip code and someone from there wants to lead a life group, it would make sense for the people in that zip code group to have first shot at being in that life group just because it'll make, it'll make it easier. That's all. Does that bring some clarity to that? Okay, good. All right. If there's more questions, and I'm sure there are, feel free to email me or just make an appointment and come talk with me. I would really enjoy all of that. We're going to end our time together with just one final song. It's, a, it's an oldie but a goodie. And as you do this, uh, I just want you to take some time and pray. Think about what you've heard. Again, I know it's unusual. I know what we've been doing is unusual this morning. But just take some time and say, you know, Lord, given all this stuff that's going to come rolling out here at the church, maybe it's a life group, Maybe it's one of these covenant groups.
how can, maybe it's one of these uh, Sunday school opportunities, how can, I, how can I step out and begin to do something new and different in the discipleship area? How do you want me to mature in my faith in the coming year? This is one of my favorite benedictions. It's tucked away in Romans chapter 15. So just hear this from the word this morning. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you to live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Go have a wonderful week, everybody.